do not mean to be mean. I do mean to be mad. You obey your pastor. If you ain't got the King James, you ain't got... Hey, if you don't have a King James, you don't have a Bible. I still believe if you're cold day in hell before I get my family from a woman, I'm a preacher. The young preachers that do love God get pulled off into Calvinism. And I'll fight it, I'll fight it. I'll fight you in the parking lot over it. I'll get personal with you. When you got dressed today, you dressed deity. This is the For Freedom Podcast. A podcast that is part of the RFP Network that seeks to bring freedom in Christ from the spiritual abuse of legalism in the independent fundamental Baptist movement. Now here are your hosts, John Hollyfield and James Seyfried. And so fundamentalism is designed to unpack the idea of authority from scripture the problem with that is that that's not the defining principle in scripture it is a part of scripture but the defining principle in scripture is love that all men who sit under the, uh, that teaching will become abusive but what i'm saying is the ones who are abusive will be drawn to that sort of teaching I don't want to give people just a list of things they can start doing differently until they have a heart out of which they're going to be doing those things differently. Bitterness is different from hurt. I would say that hurt or even abuse does not have to result in bitterness. As we are back with the Four Freedom Podcast, and uh, it's an interesting day that we are recording on. So we're recording on Sunday, and this is the day after the KJV-only debate with that, that shot through the RFP fam, and we are actually going to be talking about apologetics today. But uh, before we, get, we jump into that, James, how are you doing, man? Man, I'm doing great. That's glad to be here. And uh, I was actually at the debate yesterday, and uh, it was great to be there and to see Nathan throw down some fire and some mic drops. Um, and it was uh, definitely a uh, well worth experience, the worth the hour drive over to be there. And uh, I got to talk to Nathan there in person for the first time. It was cool to be able to talk with him. Um, I did see him signing a couple of uh, Bibles, and <laughs> he got to sign a couple of notebooks. Some people came up and and had, I mean, he had a line. It was like an old school IFB Bible signing going on there on both go. sides. And uh, Mitch Knupp was up there signing them too. And I had some people that I connected with that were sitting around me. I was going in my normal attire, my t-shirt and shorts and Crocs. And uh, so everybody that came in dressed casual was part of the Nathan fan club. And then everybody else was in their suit and tie, part of the King James only argument. 
And uh, so they all sort of gravitated around me and we were just hanging out talking a little bit. And uh, it was, it was cool to be able to meet people from different areas. One guy came in from Chattanooga. One guy was there from Knoxville, had a guy from Welcome, North Carolina. We were talking with, so it was a great time of being able to connect a little bit. Awesome. And I definitely was, was enjoying that. Awesome. Well, we are getting back. We've had two episodes back from our summer break, and now we're going back into our RFP Network crossover Avengers team-up series. And uh, so we are excited. And, and, you know, the interesting thing, James, is I think that the past episodes we've had have been just too nice. So it's yeah. time to bring a little bit of spice into it. Today, we are excited to welcome Will Hess and Brian Bodie of The Church Split. Guys, thanks for being on with us today. What kind of shallow person do you want to become? Recovering from fundamentalism or something. They're everywhere. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you were just stupid to begin with. And if there's such a word, you're stupider now. Uh, don't get flubbed up like us. And all you flubbed up people, you come, we'll all flub up together. What is up? If we're going to be the Avengers, can I be Iron Man? No, can I? I'm Iron Man. No, you're not. I am. <laughs> I'm the Hulk, so we're good. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Uh, so, hey, guys, my name is Will. I'm with the Church Split. Brian. I'm Brian. I'm the guy that he roped into this, and now here I am. I did rope <laughs> you into this. So uh, thanks for having us on. We're uh, honored to be here. It's, it's really exciting. Thank you guys for being flexible with our schedules as well. Yeah. I know Sundays isn't usually ideal for people to record, but our lives are weird. So they usually work pretty well for us. Yeah, we're finding the exact same thing. We've moved to sort of a Sunday schedule when we came back. And I'm like, man, this is actually a lot nicer than trying to get this done during the week. So totally, totally understand. Well, we're, one of the things that I'm excited about is especially after we just had the the debate yesterday, which is going to be about a week from now when this airs, is we're going to talk IFB and apologetics, two things that don't normally go together. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but something that you both uh, sort of, you know, know a little bit about, apologetics and Will's background with the IFB. So um, uh, we're excited about this. And let me bring up sort of, where my notes went but um well, while we get started why don't uh will and brian why don't you go ahead and give us an introduction of who you are uh for our listeners that may not listen to y'all and uh sort of tell us your background where you came out of i know will's out of the ifb but brian you're not and just sort of let our listeners know where you're at yeah absolutely my name is will um i started the church split with brian brian originally was just the editor and videographer and i eventually ripped roped him to be my co-host jokes on uh, me jokes joke is on you <laughs> i uh we started this um i it, my background is in the independent fundamental baptist movement i was not ever fully fully bought in um it was one of those things where I, there was too many logical contradictions i and it's through a difficult home life and church life i eventually uh, kind of went through a crisis of faith. And that is what actually led me to my passion in apologetics, which we'll talk about what that word means here in a little bit. I pastored a church for about five years. 
And now I am uh, helping out at my current church while I go through seminary. And it's been a really great time. And the church split, we focus on uh, divisive topics in the church that split churches. Since when I was a pastor, I actually experienced church splits. One of the things we talk about a lot in, in the RFP network that we're a part of is abusive power, right? It's the abusive pastor, it's the abusive deacon boards, it's these people that in the power positions. But very little were people ever talking about when the church itself, the people within it, are toxic and abusive to those around them, including maybe the pastor and others. So I experienced it on a different form than a lot of people did. And so it made me passionate to talk about these things without making the body of Christ fall apart, shoot each other or hate each other, even though we might be on different theological grounds slightly. So that's a little bit about me. Brian, what about you? Yeah. So my name is Brian. Um, I grew up Christian Reformed, which is a I guess a smaller sect of the reform movement in general, but it's uh, mostly centered around Michigan, but there's some places here and there that also have uh, Christian reform churches. Um, and that's all my family. My grandfather uh, was a college professor at Calvin college. He was the first person to combine all of John Calvin's Latin uh, translations of the Bible um, into one contiguous Bible. So that's kind of a cool family thing. My other grandpa was a chaplain in the military. Um, so very much a, uh, uh, strong Christians on both sides of family. And so I married a Baptist girl and she kind of broke some of my initial biases growing up. Um, but I was sprinkled as a kid for, uh, made profession of faith in the Christian reformed church, uh, went to a very reformed college. Um, and then kind of after that kind of started questioning some things as my wife and I got married and kind of, we were like, okay, which way are we going? Are we going to be more Baptist? Are we going to be more reformed? And we both kind of came at it with an open mind and go, okay, what, what do you believe? What do I believe? And let's, let's find some unity there. And let's all see what church you want to um, be in and where we're going to raise our kids. So eventually the Baptist side won. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how I became more Baptist. I went to a, kind of a non-denom Baptist church for a while, ended up getting um, baptized again. I felt convicted for that. Um, and, uh, and then I met Will and, and as a pastor, we ended up just rolling into his church one time, looking for a new church and we stayed and got to see also through that church some divisive issues um, that caused some problems in the church. And then I became kind of passionate about um, using the Bible as a way to determine real truth and trying to shed our own biases. And I had been someone who had shed a lot of, of my own doctrinal biases that I grew up with and just wanted to look at things with a fresh lens. And I thought that, you know, with helping Will edit this and now I'm on it is just how people kind of reset their lens check their bias, review what scripture says. And I think there's a lot of unity once we can, we can really uh, focus on what the Bible says um, and try to remove what we think it says and really try to let the Holy Spirit answer truthfully what for us is what God's word is. And for the record, the church split, obviously it's an ironic name. People seem to think that our name instantly causes controversy. And it's not because we want to split churches because we actually want to unite church, the, the church and, and prevent church splits. That's what we call it, the church split. Like it, it's like an event that took place within someone's church histories when our church went through the church split. Uh, so that's why we named it the way we did. And now ever since then, it's been a little spicy because when you deal with divisive topics, there's only one of two ways you can really handle it. You can either handle it in a way that is mean and angry and grumpy, or you can do it with a little bit of sass and a little bit of digs and kind of make it a little spicy, but have a good time with it. So that's, we try to go with number two more than number one. Gotcha. Well, and you guys started this prior to the RFP guys starting theirs, right? You're a precursor. You were the OG, right? You, you were before them. 
Yeah, that's right. We were before them. And don't <laughs> let anyone forget about it. All right. Just making sure. Just making sure. I wanted to make, we put that in there uh, to make sure that the original Brian and Will were on before Brian, JC, and Nathan. <laughs> that's <Interesting>. right. <laughs> now, that's granted, nice. they exploded and we did not, but that's well, okay. Yeah. We were more of a slow burn. <laughs> well, they had Brian Edwards on there. They've got the uh, the old man on there that was able to to lead with passion and, and charisma, I guess. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, we're going to talk today about uh, the IFB or the absence of apologetics in the IFB. And I guess to get started with, you know, I, I only heard this word. I remember the first time I heard this word, believe it or not, was... While I was at Bible College and Tony Hudson Tony was Hudson. at there preaching and talking about, yes. you know, we're not going to have an apologetics department because we ain't got nothing to apologize for, which seems oh to be gosh. sort of the main idea with that term. So, guys, define apologetics. What is it? Apologetics is half of what I do on the show. <laughs> uh, I do. I haven't gone into rigorous proofs of God, but apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia. Apologia means to make a defense, um, to proclaim or to defend. Uh, and it comes from the word apologetics with apologia comes from 1 Peter 3.15, which it says, I'm going to pull up in my CSB right here. It says, but in your hearts regard Christ, the Lord is holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do so with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Uh, that right there was a make a defense is the Greek word apologia. So when people say, oh, I got nothing to apologize for, I actually had a guy say that when I was pastoring a church. I said, we're going to do an apologetics course on Wednesday nights. And we're going to talk about how we defend the Christian faith and how we pro make proofs for God's existence. And he goes, oh, I had a pastor. I want to talk to you. I was like, I don't like that idea. I don't want to apologize for my faith. I'm like, I, did you listen to my sermon? Because I defined the term in my sermon. It has nothing to do with apologizing. It has everything to do with reason and reasoning with one another. Because one of the biggest issues we have is people take Christianity in that weird, blind faith, Jesus is my boyfriend kind of approach, right? Like, well, I just, I just know because there's that burning in my bosom and they make that like Mormon almost argument. Like, I just feel him there. I just know. And it's a blind faith. And if you understand biblical faith, what it meant to have faith, it means to trust and have good reason to trust. So why do we have good reasons to be Christians? That's the point. So that is what apologetics is. It is not apologizing for your faith. Yeah, Brian, you have anything to add on that? Yeah, just I, I remember that when that guy said that to me, I, I'd never heard that response. It's funny that you heard Tony Hudson say the same thing as I was just looked at him like, Wait, no, that's not what that word means at all. What are you talking about? Um, but I think we all do apologetics in one way or another. Um, some people just want to redefine it or want to make it into this evil thing. But we've done a couple of videos um, regarding like famous musicians that have stepped away from the faith. And we, we see the lack of apologetics as a reason for that, right? They had this, like Will said, kind of a blind faith in Christ. And they're like, okay, I think I believe this. But then without any foundation of arguments for why the truth of Christ and resurrection um, and, and everything that goes with the gospel has great evidence behind it. If you don't have that, you have no foundation. And the second someone questions you about it, um, you go, I, I don't really have a good answer to that. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, do I have a good answer for anything? Is any of this true? And then made a shipwreck of your faith. 
right? So. Which is why the church split, we have focused so much on apologetics, reasoning the faith, correcting false teaching that could lead people astray, give Christianity a bad name, bad reasons, bad defense. Because Brian, you made a great point. We all make an apologetic. We all make a defense for the faith. We all make apologetics. The question is, is it a, is it a good one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you might make, give a defense, but it can be a very bad defense, like a bad lawyer in a really bad court case. Almost, yeah. Are you almost referring to like what happened on Saturday? <laughs> like what happened yesterday? Absolutely. Yeah. That okay. was uh, an abysmal. I, I'm going to talk about that as we go forward. I will be referencing that debate. And I hope <laughs> anyone who's listening to this has at least listened to part of the debate so they understand what I'm referencing throughout. We are huge debate fans for many different topics, um, religious ones, political ones, just really anything. If there's a good argument on both sides, it's kind of fun to listen to. And it honestly wasn't that fun to listen to because it really, there wasn't a good exchange. And let's face it, there was only one side that was given any good arguments and the other side was not. And it was, that left me disappointed. I've been in this search for the best King James only argument because I want to hear the best. So I want to know if there's a great argument against it. And I just have not heard a good one. And I was hoping for one yesterday and there was none. (laughs) Yeah, I think you guys, the next thing I was going to go to, which is sort of, I think you've already covered I'm going to link these next two together and just sort of see where it goes. But the the next question was going to be, is apologetics a biblical practice? Which I think just by defining it from the book of Peter, I think it is, you know, and then is apologetics taught in IFP circles? I think what Brian alluded to, sort of like, well, it's not, is it taught, but are they doing it? Maybe not good. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's really not. It's mostly absent in the IFP circle. So it is a biblical practice because if you go to Acts chapter 17, it says that Paul reasons with them every day yeah. in a synagogue. Mars Hill. So that, the, yeah, exactly. Or when he was on Mars Hill, hey, the unknown God it is he whom I speak of. He's making an apologetic. He's making a defense. Uh, and the entirety of Romans chapter one and two is an apologetic. The enti- You were going to bring this up. Yeah. All of Hebrews is an apologetic. It's an apologetic sermon. Yeah, convincing Jewish Christians that that Jesus was the true Messiah and do not walk away from this faith. Exactly. So uh, now it is absent mostly in the IFB. A lot of the stuff that they teach in the IFB as an apologetic is a lot of revisionist history, like revising historical claims, uh, twisting of facts or cherry picking. Uh, this I remember seeing this a lot because I mean, how many of us have heard in the IFB with the textual issue? Well, it comes down to the Alexandrian text and the majority text, and that is a false dichotomy in and of itself, and it's a lie because there's so much more than the Alexandrian text and the majority text. There are about at, probably around six major classifications of text types, and they only bring it down to two, so they ignore the four of them. And so that's just, that is one lie alone, or they take a, I, I don't want to cause too much controversy on your show, but like young earth creationism, for example, they'll bring one person in who brings only one argument. And I'm not saying young earth creationism, creationism is even wrong. I'm saying that they do a bad job at representing it. Um, Cause I've actually heard way better young earth creationists give better examples and better rigorous arguments than I've heard at some, I had one guy, we, I remember one, one guy came in, he was a dinosaur expert at our church. He came in and he came up with so many weird theories and 
uh, and it was so it was very bizarre. And I just remember even sitting there going, "That doesn't make sense." And I can't even pull them all. I'll pull them all out. All I know is that there were, apparently dinosaurs were definitely in existence today in a forest in Africa. That was Sweet. a whole. That was a whole thing. And I'm like, yeah, it seems legit. Oh. Let's go. <laughs> de- definitely feel like there's a Jurassic Park going on over there, dude. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just like a lot of stuff like that, where they it was a lot of conspiracy theories behind most all the beliefs, which means by nature you are going to cherry pick when there's a lot of conspiracy theory around something. So, well, I think one of the things that's antithetical to the IFB, as I understand it, now I've kind of learned a lot of it in the last year and a half, but as I understand it, it seems like there's really a a distaste for understanding the opposing view. They mostly want to shout down the opposing view, um, condemn it, uh, make fun of it, but they don't actually want to understand it. And I think the key to having a good apologetic is actually understanding the best arguments against your position. And that's why I want to know the best King James version only arguments, because that only helps either tell me that I'm right or tells me that I need a better argument um, or that they're right. Um, So if you don't have a great understanding of the opposing viewpoint, like we talk a lot about pro-life, pro-choice. And I think I could argue pro-choice very, very well as a pro-lifer because I understand their argument. And when I understand their argument, I know how to discuss and interact and give a good defense for what I believe as a pro-life person. Exactly. I was going to bring up the pro-life thing too. We, we spent a lot, we spent many episodes uh, on the church split on the topic of abortion and the morality of it. And that's because it's such a hot topic today that it's of course a moral topic that's been politicized. And that's actually how we kind of made our, our first breakthrough in the podcast world was we did a rebuttal to a very progressive left Christian. Uh, and I'm using Christian kind of lightly here. Okay. Um, uh, with Brenda, with God is great. We did a rebuttal to her pro-choice Christian re- rebuttal. And then she had us on her channel to discuss it. And she has like a hundred, had like, a, I don't know, 120,000 subscribers. And I'm like, oh my goodness, we are, this is going to be so bad because we're going to get like shouted down by over a hundred thousand people so this is going to get be overwhelming but after our three-hour conversation luckily we recorded it on our end it is posted on the church split she didn't post it because mm-hmm. uh some of the things were challenged in there uh pretty pretty strongly so anyway it is a thing we we have to make a defense and i think there's a lot of reasons why the ifb doesn't have it um we were theorizing about this beforehand and i'd be curious your guys's interaction on this let me know what you guys think uh, one of the first things i thought about is that the ifb really wants uh what i was calling um conformity and control mm-hmm. so you want uh, so it's not just controlling but everyone has to conform right everyone has to agree on these things if you do not agree with these you can't be part of it so it's a very exclusive and because of that what ends up happening is that you only surround yourself with people who agree with you which means you never hear an opposing argument ever. And when someone does have an opposing argument, you kick them out before you even give them a chance. So what happens is that you build this really loud and a very emotionally driven echo chamber. And once you have this gigantic echo chamber where that's all emotionalism, you have completely uh, lost any ability to have rigorous discourse. And therefore, no one has really good reason. So everyone who is raised up in it better take the brainwashing and adapt and conform, or they're going to defect and get kicked out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I think that, you know, very much so when you go to the IFB Bible College, they really push that conformity. And like you guys did on the RFP guy, um, show, when you guys filled in for them, the control side of it, of saying, you have to be in by 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. 
if you're out past this town, you have to have permission to be out. You have to have a work pass. You, you know, all these things that you have to do. You can't um, show any type of affection. Uh, you, you have to get permission for those things. Uh, just so much stuff that is done um, in the IFB that they want to conform, but then that control is very much there as well. Um, yeah, John, what's your thoughts on that? And I've got a question for you guys as well. Well, we think about uh, why do they intend to, why do they, they end up ignoring or not really doing apologetics? I think, I think, of course, the control factor is there, right? Because if you don't, if, if you can control your people uh, and not let them hear the other side, then you can keep sort of that, that group herd mentality type of thing. I think a simpler, uh, well, not a simple, but one reason is a very simple reason. I would say laziness. You know, it takes takes effort, takes work yeah. to find out what yeah. the other side is. Um, but I, see, as a counselor, I'm always going to the heart of the issue. What's the heart of the issue? What's the heart of the issue? And I'd say the heart of the issue is pride. Oh yeah, it's that ex- it's that exclusive thing, right? Yep. We are better than everybody else. We're exclusive. Cl- we're an exclusive club. We are better than the other Christians. We know better than the other Christians, and it is it is pride but it's masquerading as we protect the truth. And it's not that. And by the way, whenever a group of people says, you can't research this, I have a friend of mine who is a missionary right now who might be getting dropped as a missionary from his church, who that is IFB. And he was saying, well, I just want to look into these topics because these are first time they've been brought to light and I would like to know about them. And they said, you cannot research those topics without express permission from us where we can walk you and guide you through it. What they mean is I'm going to control your brain the entire time as you read that book. Yeah. And it's like uh, cult, cult, cult. <laughs> yes. And it's like, yes. that's a cult. That's a, that is literally the watchtower. We actually make jokes on the church split all the time. Whenever we talk about IFB, that it is just like the watchtower with the Jehovah's witnesses. As opposed, you cannot read anything that's not IFB. Well, you can't read anything that's Watchtower. Well, you can't use another Bible besides the New World Translation. Well, you can't use another Bible besides the KJV. You can't, uh, unless we give you permission, you can't do it. And if you disagree, we will shun you and eventually excommunicate you. It, yeah. the, and yet it's funny because the IFB will call them a cult. And you're like, eh, it's funny because kind of the same cloth there you guys are cut from hi pot i'm kettle yeah you know it's it is funny um also one of the things i was thinking of as well is so the church split we're about uniting the divided body right so i'm about the fundamentals of the faith i'm about the very fundamentals so i'm okay with having disagreement on simple things uh my the five fundamentals for me are the deity of the lord jesus christ the virgin birth the blood atonement bodily resurrection and the inerrancy of scriptures uh, or the scriptural authority, I should say. And that's because there are different views of each one of those, like the blood atonement. Certain people are uh, what we call the penal ato- the substitutionary theory or versus the ransom theory. But either way, the blood, the, the blood atonement, right? We can agree that there's a blood atonement. And so we're very much on those fundamentals. And thus, another reason why apologetics, I think, is not discussed in the IFB. It's not just because, like you said, it takes work, but also you have to start realizing that you can't control people's minds. 
and that you're going to get people who land in different areas. Mm-hmm. And you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with somebody disagreeing with you. There was a period of time where Brian and I were uh, kind of debating for a few weeks uh, our view of God's foreknowledge and God's all-encompassing knowledge is sovereignty versus our free will. And Brian and I were kind of like, we were there was tension in our conversations around that as mm-hmm. you and I were wrestling the topic. And it wasn't bad. It was just, well, we're two friends trying to get to the heart of the issue. So um, anyway, that's some of the big reasons why I think that with the IFB, because also they're very, for them, knowledge is fear, right? They, it's all, everything is scare tactics. So knowledge is fearful. So stay here. It's safe. Stay here where you know you're okay. You go out there and look what happened to these people. And they always use the worst example, right? They always use the example of the one guy who defected from the church, got hooked on drugs, uh, got completely into like a sexually debased relationship. And then- And then he died. Yeah, and then dies. (laughs) It always ends with death. Look what happened. Always ends with (laughs) death. Every time. It has to end with death. (laughs) Because we don't want to die. Fear goes back to fear. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, man, that's great. Hey, a couple of things. Uh, when I was in Bible college, I never had a class where they would bring in the opposing thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're talking King James only, this is why we use the King James. They never brought in anyone that was against the King James. They just told us why, uh, it goes even, you know, pre rapture, pre-trib post. They always talked about what they thought. They never gave the opposing side of it. Um, and, and me and John, we had talked about that once and I went and took a kid on a tour at Southeastern and a kid was walking through and he said, man, one of the things I love about here is they, if we're talking about, uh, tribulation wraps or whatever, he said, we'll bring someone in from an opposite side, pro-choice, pro-life. We'll bring in those, those other sides just to have a debate in class. So you can hear both sides of the argument. And I thought, man, that's so great because I never got any of that. It was mm-hmm. just. This is what you have to believe, and you had to wait till you got out to even look at it. Um, exactly. But um, the, let me go back just a minute. When you guys and you both can answer this, because uh, you're both from a different backgrounds. But when you guys were in church growing up, did you ever have a time where uh, Sunday school, small groups? I don't know how you had your structure set up. Most likely Sunday school for Will. I don't know about Brian. Um, but did you ever have a time where y'all went through what you believed and why you believed it and the process there or or was there ever like an apologetics time they didn't call it apologetics but why you believe what you believed was there ever that when you guys were growing up i had a little bit of that in church a little bit and it was kind of late in high school years i uh, had actually quite a bit of it in college um i had one as an interim class where they actually it was uh it was on the topic of gay marriage and that was i'm a little bit older so that was kind of the kind of uh taboo topic at the time uh, but they brought in a pastor who was gay and they're like, here's his position. And it was, it was kind of interesting to listen to. And, you know, at the time I was very much more IFB and just how I disagreed with people. And I would just go, well, I'm right. And I'm going to talk louder. I'm going to talk faster. And you're going to have to agree with me because I know I'm right. And I kind of found myself in a lot of problems where I chose a side sometimes at random and then found out I was wrong. And I wasn't going to admit that. So I would just fight harder. Um, now I'm a little bit more cautious and when I take a side, but that was one of the classes in college where I was like, oh, I'm confronted with a position that I don't believe in by a person that holds us very fervently and hears his arguments. And the class was pretty much like you just described James of, okay, what is your position? Here's their position. And it was actually quite enlightening. I actually grew quite a bit because I was very much a, more of a zealot on that topic at the time. <laughs> 
I, uh, for us, my, my youth pastor who is weird because my youth pastor was pretty IFB. It's actually where I got a lot of my IFB indoctrinations for my, our youth ministry. Um, because my pastor himself wasn't as IFB, but our church was like IFB friendly. So we had a lot of crazy, like extremism in within the church. It was very weird, but, uh, it's weird because come to find out he listens to RFP now and he even listens to me and I'm like, the student has become the master. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right, come on. But come on. It, it, it is so weird though. It is weird though. But the thing is when he did try, but it was more like a doctrinal class, mm-hmm. you know, where it was like, all right, we're going to talk about why we believe what we believe. And then it was just doctrines. Well, and for me, I was in there going, okay, but why are the doctrines even true? How, why, why do we even know the Bible is authoritative? How do we know Jesus rose from the dead? I haven't seen anyone raised from the dead. So how can I even know that? Mm-hmm. And so as I just kind of got older, it was these things that it was like accepted on faith. And I went, by the time I got to Bible college, I, again, they never brought in any opposing viewpoints. And I was hungry for knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a, I'm a brainy kind of guy. I, I, I have to, I literally am not happy if I'm not pursuing something. I have to be munching on something intellectually. And it was driving me nuts because I was tired of hearing the same answers and the answers weren't really answers. And so that's when I dug in for myself. So that was a big thing. Um, you know, and I actually, it's so for me, I mean, my, I think my youth pastor tried, that was the only time, one time he only, he tried through a whole series one, during one summer in high school, but it was more the doctrines. And I think it was him trying because he didn't really know about it either because he was raised IFB. So, you know, he's, he's regurgitating what he's been told. And now it's funny because he's not as much that way because he has been exposed to new information. And it is funny how the truth will do that. Truth and proper information will get people out. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah James not really. was talking about like I think that the only way that any type of opposing view would ever be presented in an IFB culture is in the form of gaslighting. Yes, you know, and what I mean by that is like you know, case in point would have been sort of how Cody Zorn was setting up his people the week before the debate. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, this is what the other people say. If you believe that, you're a doofus. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's a pure definition yeah. of gaslighting. It's like it's setting them up of oh no, you definitely don't want to be anything that this person believes. And yeah, you know, and then you are you the well, worst in the world? And then you're like you call, but you said that like you're this is what you're doing. Then they then they deny it. No, that's not what I'm doing. That's completely gaslighting. Yeah. In fact, you actually brought it up as well uh, a minute ago. I meant to mention it. So there's there they depend on a few things. The IFB depends on a few things, and there's a reason why. And I, I've told Brian this is like name one, name one apologist, one person who goes around, travels the world, defending the Christian faith in formal debates, name one from an IFB background. I'll wait. Ooh. You can't. There's not a singular one. And there's a reason why. It's because their arguments actually cannot stand under rigorous discourse between philosophy, academia historical evidence everything else so what they depend on is gaslighting which is a manipulative tactic that we saw zorn do then they also do false equivalencies right well if you're not a king james only is then you don't believe that god could preserve his word you're not a bible and that is a yeah 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 exactly um or ad hominem well they're just you're just stupid they're foolish you're a sodomite reprobate whatever that's so not, and ad hominem is insulting your character yep and not the idea 
Um, and then the other one is uh, straw manning. You know, like uh, I am no Calvinist. I'm actually wearing a shirt right now that says Molinism, like Calvinism, but for intellectuals, okay? Uh, I'm literally poking fun at Calvinism. Uh, and I have friends of mine that are Calvinists. <clears throat> but one of the things that they'll, they'll say is like, well, Calvinists, they're a bunch of heretics because they believe that God created, that God created sin and that he chooses people to go to hell and he chooses some to come to grace. And that's it. That's, uh, and that is a misrepresentation of straw man. That's the, the, the Calvinist doctrine. There's more to it that leads to different, of course, I could say at least to certain logical conclusions, but if you just straw man, which you misrepresent them just to knock down a false argument that they don't even make, you are manipulating people into thinking that, wow, the opposing argument's really stupid if that's what they believe. And it's just not. So they don't, under, because they don't understand the other doctrines. Or even just the preaching against other churches and people. It's like, that was never, that was never something that they did from the pulpit um, in the New Testament. And it's just some a weird thing. It's like such a distraction from the gospel of just, all right, this person did something I didn't like on Twitter this week. So I'm going to preach about that. And we've been even the subject of that a few times. It's kind of, it's, it's actually just kind of sad. Yeah. You're kind of like, wow, that's kind of pathetic. But to the, like, to the debate yesterday, I think it's a great example of all this stuff. You'll notice that uh, Mitch, he said so many things that were wrong, but notice how he doubled down on the emotionalism. He didn't mm -hmm. make arguments. There's actually, I had a huge problem. I told you guys this would come up in this, in this today. Uh, I had a huge problem with just even the framing of the questions. Um, I mean, good on Nathan uh, for agreeing, to, I guess, to those, to those questions. I personally would not have agreed to the questions. Um, I would have at, requested that we have a balance of the questions, at least, because the questions were instantaneously framed in such a way to lean everyone into one direction, right? Mm -hmm. Like, for example, uh, if we were in a pro-life, pro-choice debate, it would be like having the moderator ask the question, well, Will, don't you believe that a woman has a choice to do with her body? Yeah. Okay, you're clearly trying to guide the audience with your own question to your conclusion with, while, with, and already making me start 10 yards behind the starting line because now what I have to do is I have to spend the next five minutes clarifying my position before I can even get to my argument because of the way you framed the question. That's really yeah. a fundamental thing of apologetics is being able to properly steel man your opponent, being able to actually describe their position accurately um, in its best form so that you can then argue against that. If you're setting up as a straw man, something that can be easily torn down, that's not actually a great representation or maybe a simplified version of what they believe so that you can easily tear it down. That's not that's not a proper way to debate. That's not a proper way to show that you're right. Um, and that's why it is one of the logical fallacies. And so what he ended up doing, uh, Mitch, throughout the debate was instead of engaging any of the, um, well, also it was the format, right? So the questions were wrong and the format was bad. Uh, the format was just five minutes, seven minutes of you speaking, five minutes, seven minutes of you speaking, back and forth, repeat until two and a half hours later, we're in a Q&A time. There was no, and a standard debate would have had you guys both, would have had them both make an opening statement about their positions, then make a 20 minute uh, call to what they believe, why they believe it, make a presentation, so to speak, and then have a 10 minute rebuttal period. And then you would have a cross-examination yeah. where they both can roast each other if need be to get to the bottom of the issue. Or you can see somebody dodge the question if they can't answer the question and then have a Q&A. 
Yeah, which I'll that, say, uh, let me interrupt, but I'll say You're in good? the debates that I've seen in, you know, my years of, of from the time I came out of IFB, debates I've seen that have had the most impact on me is the moments of the cross-examination. Mm-hmm. Because exactly, exactly, because you get to see them interact with each other, and they take they will take notes on their statements, their either their opening statements or their twenty minute remarks, and they say, "Well, can you clarify this?" And whether they can or can't really is a deciding factor of whether their argument holds up. Yeah, uh, exactly. I that as well. I mean, I you know because the way it was, Mitch never had to ever say anything that Nathan said. He never had to give an account for anything that Nathan accused him of or had said. He could get up and say whatever he wanted. Now, Nathan called out a couple of times, hey, you said this, and some of the questions from the floor were, Nathan, you made this statement. You know, how would you clarify it? But that should have been done from the from the, from the the stage, not from the floor in the question and answer time. Well, it, yeah. yeah, it didn't allow Nathan – to respond to accusations being made against him. It didn't allow Mitch yeah. to respond to accusations against him. Therefore, it doesn't allow good dialogue. But I think that was by design because you can't allow that because that what if, what if Mitch doesn't do a good job at defending my position and then we lose people? Yeah. You know, so again, conformity, control. That those are the two main things. Then uh, the other thing that bothers bothered me about that as well. Then you'll notice that he shifted. He didn't, he, uh, Mitch wasn't making arguments. So you'll notice that Nathan's case, he builds his case throughout his statements. So that's one of the things that because of the, the, the format was weird. So it, instead they were given like seven minutes to keep building their case. Nathan builds his case throughout properly. I felt like the meat of the debate was the middle because that's when finally Nathan had set up enough stuff where he's actually able to engage. And then he like shows like some of Mitch's uh, inconsistencies in his own podcast, things like that. What Mitch did, he resorted to what I would almost call home field advantage. I already know these people agree with me. So I don't need to respond to his arguments. I just need to get these people hyped up so much that they don't listen to the other argument. So instead, what he starts to do is he appeals to emotionalism, right? I'm not a Baptist by birth. I'm a Baptist by conviction. Well, that's that's a statement. That's not an argument. Yeah, he yeah, preached. Or saying amen with a question mark that you're yeah. just asking people to go, ah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. He, he preached that you put he, it perfectly. He preached, he preached and got interrupted and then just picked up his message where he left off. He preached. I mean, and that's exactly six, how he got sidetracked sermons. on vaccines and uh, you know, yeah, Calvinism and that kind Calvinism. of Calvinism. <laughs> yeah. I know when he brought up Calvinism, like, what does Calvinism have to do with this? This is a this is a textual debate, not a soteriology debate. Well, I um, thought one of the worst parts was whenever I think Nathan made an allusion. He was talking about the translators. He made an allusion about King James translating, actually doing translation work on the Psalms. That's all he said about King James. And the guy spends the next three to five minutes talking about how King James was maligned for being a homosexual. Nathan never said that. He never yeah. brought it up. And this guy thinks that he's got to give this big retort on whether King James was a homosexual. Dude, that's not what we're here for. Yeah, that was a straw man. He was yeah. tearing down literally something Nathan never claimed. Exactly. Another one of the, their other tactics. Uh, and it's funny because when, when he did bring that up, I'm like, you, I think he misses the point of why people bring up the questions with the King James. <laughs> like people really actually miss why people bring up his sexuality. 
their point is, is because what people say, uh, when people bring that up, it's like, okay, you say that because so-and-so didn't like what uh, Westcott and Hort said because of what the questionable X, Y, and Z that happened with this reputation and that reputation, because of this, that you can't trust modern translations. People's point on that is there's questionable things that have been said about King James, yet you're okay with him. Mm-hmm. That's the point of that argument. When people, so he, again, he was straw man that even. So first off, Nathan didn't bring up his, the, the sexual affiliation of King James. But then the guy completely misunderstands why people might even bring that up in the first place. Yeah. Because I've brought it up a few times where I'm like, okay, great. Because they're like, well, this homosexual or this possible homosexual or this or this was ever on this translation committee working for this place. I'm like, okay, great. Same things were said about King James. Now, I know it was said by an enemy. It was enemy attestation. But it's still something that was said. Mm-hmm. So by your logic, you know, you're supposed to be, quote, unquote, above reproach in everything in the IFB. Is that not a, a reproach? At least something that should have been addressed? If he right. had the internet, he would have been able to know that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Well, so, uh, he goes to the library for that. Yeah. Well, would that be called a, a, a correct me if I'm wrong here, but in that sort of like a what they call a bait and switch, where he he said the ESV translators were all Calvinists, and then Nathan says, well, the King James translators were Anglicans. Well, I didn't say <laughs> that they all had to be Baptists. You know, is it isn't that like sort of what they, was considered a bait and switch? Yep. Okay. Yep. Or uh, yeah, it was a bait and switch, and then you could also say it was a shifting the goalpost. Okay. Because suddenly he he's like, all right, here's the goal, right? Calvinists are bad. That's the goal. And then Nathan goes, but the Anglicans were Calvinists. He goes, well, it isn't. It have to be Baptists. And suddenly the the goalpost went from Calvinist to well, not that. And just does to deflect anything to deflect. You can't admit you're wrong. And it is so hard that these are, this is, these are all signs of a cult, by the way, all signs of a cult. Like now I have decided uh, more and more, and I'm sure you guys same, because now that you guys have a platform too, and a podcast, I go to rigorous discourse. I want to know what the academics say. I don't care what pastor Joe Schmo says, and I'm not saying pa- God can't use pastors and I'm not saying pastors can't be right. I'm a pastor. Okay. Like, but I don't, cause, but that you're a lot of pastors don't know things. Mm-hmm. Pastors are sh- more shepherds by nature yeah. and less academic. You might be lucky. You might have like a more academic pastor, right? John. Um, yeah. Well, well we, and that's what we push for. And right. The our topic of apologetics is we think pastors should be more into apologetics because we think that's part of the shepherding should be arming their flock to be able to make a good defense. And if you don't have that good defense, you end up with people walking around the church because they don't know how to explain their faith. They do go on to college and they get confronted with an atheist and they've never even had these, these in-house debates on small things in order to practice. So when they actually get in the real world where someone goes, well, here's this, this, and this, and they're like, I never heard this information before. I guess I'm wrong. And that should not be the conclusion, especially when you have the deepest well of philosophical and um, apologetical truth in Christianity, you should never be wrong in that debate because you have it all on your side. You literally have the truth of God on your side. So you shouldn't be losing those arguments. If you are, you are completely uh, ill-equipped by people that were leading you in your faith. And to that point, wanted to mention rigorous discourse is literally a Christian tradition. Okay. Debate is Christian tradition, man. You want to talk about the traditions. Let's talk about that. 
Like you go through Acts chapter 15 is a huge debate. What do we do with the Gentiles? Do they have to become like us and become circumcised and follow the Torah? Do they not? What do we, how do we handle them? Do they have to proselytize like before? And there's this huge debate. And it says there was quote, no small disagreements. Mm -hmm. It was huge. Yeah. Uh, then there's this whole, uh, how many guys have ever heard? Also, there's a very strong anti-Semitic uh, strain in the IFB, by the way, as much as they say that Israel's God's chosen people, they'll whip it around and, and discount anything the Jews say. Like how many of you guys have ever heard them to say that the Talmud says that Jesus is a horrible person and burning in hell and hot semen and things like that. Um, they quote, so here, yeah, that's some hot, that's some hot language right there, guys. And it it's what the Talmud is, is literally a compilation of debates of multiple rabbis throughout eons. So it's this huge collection of volumes of people just arguing with each other, different rabbis throughout the eons arguing with each other. And some of them did not like Jesus. And some of them did like Jesus. So it's a complete misrepresentation when I hear the IFB quote, uh, Nathan Rager did it on our program. He quoted parts of the Talmud about the negative parts of Jesus. I'm like, the Talmud isn't one author. It is literally a compilation of arguments. Then you get into the early church fathers and the early church fathers debated all the time too. That is part of it. So, which means that we should probably be more inclusive in our thought processes in the church. I'm not saying to welcome a heresy, but we also have to be careful what we call heresy. Mm -hmm. There is fundamentals. The fundamentals are the non-compromisables. These mm -hmm. have been addressed throughout Christian history. Uh, these are the ones that no Christian has ever, who calls themselves Christian, could never really move on because these are the fundamentals to be a Christian. Uh, and now we're at the point now where people are like, well, if you disagree with the King James only, you're a heretic. Or if you're a Calvinist, you're a heretic. Or if you deny penal substitution, you're a, a, a ransom theory guy, you're a, you're a heretic. And it's just gotten ridiculous. We throw the heretic world around like it's Skittles at Halloween. Yeah. Oh, yeah, completely. And I think that sort of answers that you guys have both just answered pretty much the la that last question, which is, should every Christian practice apologetics? And I think not only should we, but like Will just said, it, it is a tradition of the church to do so. I mean, you, what you were talking reminded me of, of even uh, what is considered the apologist fathers in church history, which the most known one is Justin Martyr who was seeking to help his brethren uh, uh, and, and fellow Christians uh, not have such severe persecution under the Roman Empire by writing a defense of the faith on why Christians are the best citizens to Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I actually, uh, so it's funny, um, my, uh, my pastor at Frontline, he wants me to start teaching a Bible class. And uh and I was like, okay, I think, and I told him today, I was like, we're getting breakfast together on Thursday. I was like, it needs to be an apologetics class. He's like, well, can we just not call it apologetics? Because I feel like people are going to think it's a snooze. I'm like, no, it needs to be called apologetics. Because one of the biggest things is that we call each other, think about it. People are told that Christians are stupid, right? Mm -hmm. We're dumb. They're just dumb. They have blind faith. They're stupid. Well, no. How about we actually use technical terms? How about when we talk about the study of knowledge and how do you know something, we use the word epistemology. How about when we're talking about the very structure of the universe, we, we call, we say it, ontology. How come we don't say hermeneutics we're dealing with, exegesis, eisegesis? Be rigorous, like use proper vocabulary. You know, and that will instantly make people take you a bit more seriously because it shows that you're credible. It shows that you've studied something when you're using words properly. 
And I was like, so therefore it needs to be called apologetics because mm-hmm. I don't want people coming in like we're at, we're at defend Jesus conference today. No, we're <laughs> at apologetics conference, you know, put on your thinking cap. Let's get to work. You know that there it, we are commanded to, it says may, be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks for that reason of the hope that is within you. Yeah. yeah. Anyone it's a command. Yeah. And we, uh, and of course do so with gentleness and respect. You don't have to be a jerk about it. But I, I mean, at the same time, I, there's a quote that Brian now quotes for me. It's a little weird that you're like, that quote you made that one time was awesome. Good quote. <laughs> I'm like, it's quote. weird when you say that, but all right, cool. Um, it's a, I, I said just once on the program, if you can't defend it, don't be surprised if people don't believe it. And it's just, the, it's just the facts. Like you can't sit there and just, well, it is what it is. No, it's not. Tell me why. Uh, one of the biggest things when I was at Crown College, they got so frustrated because like, well, why don't you just, this is what the administration says. Why don't you do it? And I had literally the DSU says, when we jump, you say how high? And I said, no, when you say jump, I'm going to ask why. Because I need to know. I need mm-hmm. to know the reason. If you give me a good reason, I'll jump all day. <laughs> but yeah. if I don't have a good reason, then I'm going to walk away because that's a lot of energy to jump. And yeah. we're talking about, you know, should Christians do it? Yes, they should. How should Christians do it? Well, I think one way is just debating with your friends. You know, first safe area. If you do disagree with your friend on something, have a good debate. And for fun, choose the opposite side and see if you can actually reasonably defend it. Um, then, you know, this isn't for everyone, but try debating some of those things in open forums online with strangers and see if you can actually defend it. So that's some of the, some of the new ideas that I'm, I'm thinking of that I'm like, I don't know if I had this right, or maybe I'm trying to reinforce it. I'll take it online after I think I have a pretty good understanding of it and see if I have some holes. Either I'm going to find, oh yeah, I guess I was wrong. That was a great argument. Or yeah, now I have even the better arguments um, on the other side and now I know how to defend them. Um, just practice it. And I think too, once, once you, especially with the defense of the faith, like the existence of God, some of the basic ones, I think once you have those under your belt, I think you'll be shocked how often those questions will come up to you. I know what happened for me once I did a full study of the defense of God. I had two times in a week where that came up with someone. They just asked me the question outright. And I was like, wow, what an opportunity that I now have such a great apologetic for this, that I can give this to this other person. And I know what they're going to say and I can defend it thoroughly. And actually, I'm a big fan of online debates. I know people don't like it. Uh, people are like, oh, you never changed anyone's mind on the Facebook. But uh, actually, I'll say this. I have. I have changed people's minds on online. I have messaged, or, but I say this all the time. When I'm debating online, I'm debating for two reasons. One, to practice my thoughts. Because the best part about online debate is you don't have to respond right away. You mm-hmm. can take time to think about it consider it even research it over 48 hours and then respond it's the best you don't need it right off the bat it's great it's a good practice for people starting to get their feet wet but also it's like what about the people who watch we all we've all done it we've all scrolled through countless paragraphs of text of an argument mm-hmm. well what if somebody's on the fence and they find that they go oh my gosh these two people are arguing about this and i've had people message me complete strangers i'm not even friends with them and they never even friended me afterwards but they just pop in and go, wow, that actually made so much sense. Thank you so much for clarifying that today. So it's cool because it allows you to be, it allows you to practice and it gives you a ministry. <laughs> but um, otherwise, uh, yeah, there are some great resources out there for apologetics as well. So um, if you guys want, I can give some recommendations. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. 
Boom. Okay. So my absolute, Brian already knew this was going to come up. <laughs> I'm a student at Trinity College of the Bible, a theological seminary down in Evansville, Indiana. Uh, the president there, Dr. Braxton. Is that near uh, Hal's Anderson, the, the great theological um, iron horse up there? <laughs> uh no it is a uh, it is more more to the west <laughs> okay okay more to the left of okay more to the left okay gotcha so the president of my seminary dr braxton hunter and dr jonathan pritchett they have a podcast and a youtube channel called trinity radio where it is exclusively apologetics and the best part about it is that they both have different theological leanings so it's a lot of fun uh braxton has a very traditional southern baptist background and then Jonathan Pritchett is a little bit more, um, I don't know, I, he's what he call, we call paleo-orthodox. And then he's also like, uh, when it comes to ministry and stuff, he's what we call an egalitarian in that sense, instead of complementarian, things like that. Where it's, So it's a lot of fun hearing these two discuss these issues with atheists, uh, do responses. But then also when it comes to just things to look up and people to engage in, uh, Dr. William Lane Craig is probably the most well-known Christian apologist in the world. I would definitely recommend his book on guard for anyone wanting to start. Also Frank Turek uh, with cross-examined, check him out. His stuff is very down to earth, very, very digestible for people. Uh, then I have uh, also a Jeff Durbin with Apologia Church or Apologia Church, that the church is the way they say it. I do like Jeff Durbin when he's discussing things with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses that he does a great job, I think there. Um, and then I did want to definitely plug Gary Habermas. Uh, his defense of the resurrection is legendary. And then same with the McGrews. Lydia McGrew um, has a great book on that. Totally recommend uh, the, the McGrews. Both of them are PhDs, which is a little absurd, but I guess when one PhD in the family is not enough, why not get two? <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I highly recommend. There's so many great apologists out there. And for those of you guys who want something a little bit more spice in your life when you want to do apologetics, uh, one Act 17 apologetics with Dr. David Wood is a great time. Uh, fun, just a little quick blurb about him. He literally at 18 years old went to prison for attacking his father with a ball peen hammer and got saved in prison, but he was diagnosed as a psychopath. He, he actually to this day uh, has a hard time with that because he knows he has a mental disability in that sense. But through the apologetics and through reason, he has accepted Christianity as true and now lives a Christian life. And he's married, has children. And uh, he does an apologetics channel going purely mostly after Islam. And it is spicy because the guy does not care something about being a psychopath would do that to you and so it, it's a really good time to go there check that out and he's got a phd in philosophy he's no joke um and then of course if you guys just want to have a really great time in apologetics and of course the superb best place to go is the church split obviously <laughs> that's why we're having you on here <laughs> totally i think most kidding. people you mentioned do have great debates online um i know braxton has a fantastic debate with matt dillahunty, with matt dillahunty. uh it'll make you angry some of the things that dillahunty says uh william lane craig is is said to literally put the fear of god in atheists because he is so well-rounded in his uh defenses of christianity um and frank turk is great james uh james white um and what was it what's dr brown's first name 
Michael, oh, Michael Brown. Brown. Michael Brown. Michael Brown. They have a fantastic uh, debate that's a two-part uh, regarding Trinity versus uh, monotheism, and it's, it's really fantastic. And it's two. Uh, they both Jews, I think. And oh yeah, they, yeah. They're arguing against uh, Unitarianism versus Trinitarianism. Yeah. So Dr. Michael Brown were on the same side versus two uh, Messianic Jews who believe in Unitarianism. Um, it's always funny when you get Michael Brown and James White on the same side too, because one's a Calvinist, one's not, and they usually have debates with each other, even though they're friends. So there's a lot out there. Yeah. And it also goes to show guys, stop being, I just, I always say it, stop being afraid of other viewpoints. They're not scary. So there's only two things that could possibly happen with another viewpoint. Either you can be proved wrong, which isn't scary because it brings you closer to truth. It means that you are now learning something new. That's good. I'm closer to truth. I should, I want my wrong ideas to be defeated. Or if they're wrong, you get to prove them wrong. And it feels super good to be prove them wrong <laughs> as opposed to being proved wrong. So it's, it's a win-win, no matter what, either you're learning or you're crushing somebody. And it's a, it's a wonderful time. I, I thought you were going to say either you, you, uh, what was the first thing you said? Oh, well, uh, either you get closer to truth and you learn something new. Okay, yeah, either you get proved wrong and you grow closer to the truth, or your defense, your your belief, or your position gets strengthened and bolstered. <laughs> but then you said, or you get to prove them wrong. Let's face it, that is fun to do. <laughs> there's a great, there's a great moment. It's like you have to stop yourself from being prideful, but like that moment when you shut it down, you're like, yeah, I was right, or at least I think I am. <laughs> I think that was uh, Mitch's whole argument yesterday he just sat there because he knew he was right oh yeah yeah so all you had to do is preach a message as opposed to engage exactly i definitely felt convicted by what after mitch was done i was like wow i now question all of the thousands of manuscripts of church history and all our orthodox positions for the last two thousand years yep crushed it mitch i now questioning everything I just question numerology more than I ever have in the past. No, no, not numerology. <laughs> numerology is a cult. What he said was, it was uh, numerics, numerics, new term. <laughs> I want to come back to that question real quick because I just have like an off the wall matters to nothing about the subject, the question I wanted to see you guys point on. Uh, but one book, and I don't want to catch a lot of, you know, I, I'm afraid to say this because I know in the apologetics world, presuppositional apologetics is like the redheaded stepchild of apologetics. Everybody has like <laughs> solely disrespects it. But uh, one book that I have found that I think is, is really good is Greg Bonson's Always Ready. Um, I have found it is from a presuppositional position, but I think that there's there's some good things in there. And uh, and uh, but if uh, did you did you guys catch the question and answer part of that debate yesterday? Where the I'm guy halfway through it. Okay. There's a part, Will, where the guy asks Mitch, you know, about the the new numerics, I guess you could say, about them being the verse uh things being added in 1555. And then he goes around and spends all this time correcting him that it was actually 1551. But the guy was making the point of does that mean that truth was added in 1551 to scripture? And he finally got it, he like he pressed into it. Have you seen that part? I saw that part. That was fantastic. Cause I was like the only back and forth so question. That's, answer that's the only guy that Cody Zorn didn't know that he asked Mitch a question on. <laughs> but, but here's one of the things that he, he was, said that I was he, wondering if you guys caught, he said, are you talking about like, like advanced revelation? 
He's like, because that, yeah, that's, that's there. And then he, then he goes into his answer after he sort of like carries on. He says this thing, there's three interpretations to any given passage. Did you catch that? I did. Yeah. I haven't gotten to that part yet. I was like, did he, did he just say that? <laughs> uh, doesn't it kill you? Yeah. No. And by the way, as far as I have to touch, touch on this, there are, three thoughts as far as apologetic methods are concerned there's presuppositional that john brought up there's classical <laughs> apologetics and there's evidential apologetics yeah. presuppositional apologetics has uh, there's a different reputation depending on what side it's either the end all be all best way ever no hand no doubt about it absolutely crushing dominant view of apologetics which presuppositional view is you presuppose god's existence when arguing with somebody or uh, that everyone else, all the other versions go, presuppositional is garbage and trash and they should never be taken seriously. <laughs> Those are the two. And so it's, it's the extreme on both sides. It's really yeah. funny. I, I enjoy watching the divide. Yeah. Um, I will say I'm what we call a classical apologist. Um, I believe evidentialism is good because it's providing evidence. It means that evidence can, changes minds. So evidential apologetics is good. Uh, I'm a classical apologist, which means I like to give a case for God's existence, like the moral argument or the Kalam cosmological argument or teleological argument for God's existence, and then a case for the resurrection. Uh, so it means that, all right, we need a good reason for God. We need a good reason for Jesus. And that's, that's a classical apologetics. Presop, of course, just, believe that, hey, God exists, deal with it. This is why, and like, how do you know that anything's true? And they go by that, go that route. Um, I say this. I think that the divide is kind of uh, a little overemphasized in the apologetics community because I've literally used all three methods. I shift depending on who I'm talking to. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. can presuppose God in certain situations. Not times you're yeah. proving him. Yeah, I think because maybe I'm a preacher or a pastor, I tend to lean towards the presup. But I, I guess I would be, I would really technically be sort of what you would call a, um, a cast, a, what's the word, an eclectic, because I, I think that anybody that does any type of presuppositional apologetics is benefiting from classical and evidentiary apologetics because they're going to be using their stuff regardless, or it's not going to be a conversation at all. It's going to be like, oh, this is what I am, and they're not going to, you're not going to engage with anybody. But if you, you have to engage with those types of things. And of course, one of my favorite reformed voices of all time is R.C. Sproul, who was, who actually made this statement at one of his conferences. <laughs> <laughs> Sproul actually made this made this statement. He said, uh, "He said there's there's two kinds of apologetics. There's classical and evidential, and uh, presuppositional is not. I mean, he just he had no respect for presuppositional apologetics. He was a classical person himself as well. Uh, that's funny because he's his his theology would uh would disagree with his own apologetic method but i won't get into that i won't get into that <laughs> but i think on the presuppositional part i think too you have to presuppose some things in order to have a discussion with someone and yeah. usually at the very least the thing that you're presupposing is that uh two people discussing um a differing point of view can try to find truth yeah you're essentially presupposing that logic is true you're presupposing that there are things as truths and i think sometimes when we're, we debate people that don't believe there's such thing as absolute truth which is kind of funny because their position is um is self-defeating because they 
it's an absolute truth to say that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Mm -hmm. So even in their own statement, it is self-defeating. Yeah. Um, but I think it's something to bring that up. You can, it, Oh, I always like to talk about what are we, what do we agree on? Like in yesterday's debate with Nathan, they agreed that God exists. They agreed that scripture is the word of God. So there's a lot of things that they're agreeing on. Okay. Now we're focusing on this piece of the apologetic argument. Um, in this case, it was King James onlyism. Yeah, exactly. So Bonson says the sort of as this, that, that was, that's sort of Bonson's main point is like, you know, when you come to whatever it's, whatever your debate, if it's, if it's another religion, if it's atheism, you, they're coming with their presuppositions already. So getting them to the point where they're honest about their presuppositions is sort of their goal to get there. And oh yeah, that's a big one. Well, and the big thing too is like to do the same thing with atheists. I say this all the time that uh, the hardcore presuppers and atheists have more in common than they think because they both presuppose <laughs> their position is correct. And, uh, and, and true, it's, it's true. really funny to watch uh, take place. Yeah, right? Like it's true. And uh, what's funny with the atheists though is that like the neo-atheist movement, the new atheist movement uh, by people like um, Matt Dillahunty is a great example. He's awful. And I'm not just saying that because he's an atheist. I'm saying he's literally awful at debate. He's a, a joke of a philosopher. Uh, he literally says that, that he's not convinced of God's existence and uh, God would convince him if it was true. Uh, and it's like, so, and you could give like, and people have asked him like, so if the moon shattered right now and all of the like debris landed and says, God is real, you wouldn't believe it. And I, someone did that in Jesus name, you wouldn't believe it. And he goes, nope. I'd have no good reason to. And we're like, <laughs> then what? Then it's a joke, right? Um, or then there's uh, Dr. Sam Harris, who is equally a joke. It is really funny because he says that free will is an illusion. Um, meanwhile, he says that uh, any religion is toxic. And I'm like, well, if you say that free will is an illusion, but, and he, we, oh, he says, so it's an illusion, but we must act like it's true. Well, then why would you call uh, religion toxic, child abuse, and all these things? Because you're, you're presupposing that people have a choice in their free will. So again, a lot of people hold contradictory views and they don't quite believe it. So it drives me crazy. <laughs> I think you yeah. can only really understand some of those contradictory views if you actually try to learn theirs. Yeah, so you have to learn their views and you have to learn the logical conclusion of other people's views and learn to steel man it, not straw man it, represent mm -hmm. it properly. Uh, Brian and I, we're coming around a corner here. We've taken a kind of a break on the church split and we're gonna start getting to deep theological discussions and we want to steel man the opposing side, mainly because you and I are gonna be in a minority in a lot of the views that we're gonna be talking about. Yep. Um, and we just know that that's just gonna be the case and that's okay. But we want to make sure we represent everyone properly. And then you'll also notice that you'll be able to be friends with people when you do that. Because yeah. people don't like to usually be with friends with people who misrepresent them. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. Well, James, go ahead. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on. And uh, it's been a great time talking. I've got a whole paper of things written down. And I like to write as people talk. So uh, I'm, I'm writing down things and I'm, I've already ordered a couple of books just now, as you guys were talking <laughs> on Amazon. So they will be, uh, I, we're dope. I, yeah. As uh, I'm doing a, uh, I'm starting a study with our college class um, here at church. They're wanting to know uh, what other religions believe. And so I've already started reading atheism, Buddhism. I'm starting to compile some things uh, to help them understand and bring some things in. So this has definitely been a help for me. And uh, I appreciate what you guys have done and what are y'all are doing. So 
I appreciate that. And for your listeners, I want to just recommend three books. Okay. And I know if you're not, if you're not a reader, do it anyway. I do not care. Or get him an audio. I actually, no, actually, honestly, I'm going to be honest, read it. <laughs> I get tired of people saying, oh, well, I just, I, I just not a reader. Look, man, no one starts off as a reader. That's right. You become one and it's yeah. a discipline like anything else. Yeah. You, if you want to learn, you have to read because a podcast will not be able to tell you everything a book can. Yeah. Uh, books are systematic and approached differently. And well, Mol- bring Mol- your highlighters. Anyway. Moeller just said on his briefing, he did a question and answer. Uh, I think it was Friday. And the one guy said, are you a speed reader? Do you have a special way to read? Cause he's reading all these books. And Moeller just said, listen, I, I don't speed read. I read every word of every sentence of every paragraph. He said, I've just read for many, many years. And so I'm able to read faster than the normal person. He said, but it didn't start that way. And I'm still frustrated that I can't read as fast as I want to read. He said, but exactly. start somewhere. And as you go, you'll get better and better and better, and you'll be able to read faster and you'll be able to retain. He said, I'm able to retain a whole lot of information at one time. He said, some people can't, they have to reread and reread and reread. He said, so I'm just blessed in that area. Uh, He said, but your goal is not to be like me in the reading area. It's to be whatever you are designed to be. Um, And I thought it was, it was really powerful. So I agree with that 100%. So the three books. And they all have people with different theological leanings. And I'm going to first recommend someone who's a Calvinist. So, ha, there. <laughs> John just all, fist bumped there. Yeah. yeah. So uh, by Greg Kalkel, it is called Tactics. Great book. I, w- I read that like way later in my apologetics career. And I'm like, I should have started here. This would have made my life so much easier. Tactics, start there. Number two, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Frank Turek and Norman Geisler. Great book. Uh, It it covers the surface of most every argument from intelligent design to morality to design to all sorts of, uh, to the uh, historical validity of the New Testament. And then third, this one has to be the third, is On Guard by Dr. William Lane Craig. And this book, I'm going to warn you guys now, you're going to start a chapter and you're going to get lost for a lot of people at first because it's very technical but then he clarifies it as the chapter goes on but he does it on purpose because he doesn't want to baby it down to you he's uh he has two phds um and he's very strong on the idea of you speak intelligently so i'm going to be technical then i'm going to dumb it down technical dumb it down i'm not going to dumb it down and bring it to the technical um, he takes a different approach and it's a little, it might take a little bit to get used to, but it's a great book. And of course, basically anything by those authors and others, but those are the three books I recommend everyone to start off with tactics. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and on guard. And then you'll be well on your way to be able to defend the faith, at least to most people. Brian, you got any closing comments? I, I just think it's great that you guys want to have this discussion. I think more and more Christians need to be focused on apologetics. I think a lot of people, like we said, are already doing it. They're just doing it poorly or call it by something else. Um, but I think if you can if you can defend your faith well, especially youth pastors that are listening, you guys need to be doing apologetics in with the youth. You need to prepare them before they're going to college so that they understand well why they believe what they believe not because you told them but because they have great great examples of why they have evidence for why they believe what they believe they can defend it and then when they go to college they're not coming back questioning their faith they're bringing new people to the church absolutely absolutely 
Well, guys, thank you so much, Church Split, for uh, joining us today and this this topic. We had some fun and enjoyed sort of also giving some uh, commentary to what happened yesterday's debate. Uh, this has been a great time. And guys, I believe uh, this is the last time uh, the family will hear us before Bourbon, Missouri. So, uh, you know, I think we'll have an episode airing that Thursday. And it is sort of sad and disappointing that Will and Brian are not going to be there. Come on, guys. <laughs> Plot twist. Oh, Brian Ooh. is. I will be oh. there. Let's go. <laughs> Whatever I think about we'll you guys' it, show, I... When, I, when I think about you guys' show, I always remember, for some reason, this comment was ingrained in my mind. Somebody, I don't even know who posted it. Somebody posted, whether publicly or in the family page, about start picking up the church split and loving Brian. And they made this statement. They said, came for will stayed for brian <laughs> that is so cool i've been telling brian i'm like get, i was like get your fans away from here this was my show before you took over uh no it's actually funny that was uh it's a daily wire reference because him and i are are conservative politically and uh people all the times there came for ben like ben shapiro stayed for michael uh yeah. michael knowles because michael knowles show is awesome and so that became a thing with people who know us like ah stay for came for will stay for brian <laughs> I, I listen to i listen to ben shapiro every day i'm a i'm a shapiro fan so no, uh, uh do you have the tumblr the tumblr is great I need it. I have. I I bought my tumbler first, but I'm getting there the Lexus Tears tumbler soon. There you go. Now <laughs> that's that's a big thing though. So if with uh, with our group, that's actually one of the changes we have coming down the pipe here, uh, because of our schedules, it has been very difficult for me and Brian to film every episode together. So there's a lot with just me uh, covering a particular theological topic. But I think I have one more topic I'm going to cover solo. That's music which uh, I know other people have actually covered. We actually have not covered music yet, which is weird because we've covered so many other controversial topics. But uh, I plan to do that as a musician, break it down musically. And then I think we're going to try to make the shift for Brian's on for every episode, which I'm will be a lot all of fun. the time. Y'all going to get sick nice. of me. <laughs> Full time, baby. Full time. Nice. Yeah. Well, guys, thank but you so serious. much. Thank and, you. Uh, thank you. And, and, and thank you, everybody, for listening today. And uh, we'll, we're excited to see everybody in Bourbon, Missouri on uh, August uh, 26th, 27th, and the 28th uh, for the RFP meetup. And um, until next time, to God, not the pastor, be the glory. Thanks for listening to the For Freedom Podcast. To find more content like this, please visit rfpnetwork.org. To find more podcasts like this one, resources, and meetups to encourage you on your journey.